In this episode, we sit down with Melissa Proctor, an incredible school principal who has revolutionized the culture of her school by focusing on clarity of purpose. We know no one has gotten into education for the money and fame. They got into education for the passion of teaching, working with children, and playing a crucial role in preparing our future generations for the years ahead. But all too often, and this is normal across all professions, we get caught up in the stress that comes with the job, and we start moving away from what drove us in the first place. Join us as Melissa shares how she developed clarity of purpose and how she keeps it at the very centre of everything the school does and every decision that is made. G'day everyone and welcome back to the Flourish podcast. I am Bob Willits and I'm joined by Dr. Adam Fraser. G'day Adam. Hey Bob, how's it going? Fantastic, fantastic. Great to be here. Yes, uh, it's good to be back in the podcast chair. Now, today we're talking about culture and leadership. And one thing I have to say in my work is that, you know, keynotes I find fine, don't tend to get riled by that, or even workshops. Like presenting to any group, I tend to be pretty chilled out and calm. But one of the things I do do in my work is do deeper work with leadership teams around their culture and how do they be more functional. And I've got to tell you, that's the stuff that keeps me awake at night. (laughs) Like that is the hardest part of my job. And I think trying to change the culture of any team is really difficult. Like what's your perspective on that? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a saying that we talk about all the time in education culture, it's strategy for breakfast. And it absolutely does. You know, we find that great culture in schools and great culture in teams it doesn't matter even just in education right across an industry great culture will overcome any flaws in the strategy along the way but you can have the greatest strategy in the world that's absolutely bang on perfect but if the culture of the school isn't right if there's any issues along the way they will the the poor culture will undo that strategy. Yeah, and I've seen this a million times. Yeah, I imagine you have. Now, luckily, because the whole thing about the Flourish podcast is we bring in someone that we think nails this and they're going to teach us how to do this. So uh, do you want to introduce our guest, Bob? Oh, gladly. So today we're joined by Mel Proctor, uh, the amazing Mel Proctor, and she's joining us because her superpower is culture building and building capacity of her team. So welcome, Mel. Hi everyone, it's great to be here. So Mel, can you give us a bit of background to you and your experience and how long you've been in this role? Yeah, so I've been a principal now, this is my 10th year. Uh, It's the second school that I'm at, so I did five years at my first school and I'm now into my fifth year at my second school. Uh, I'm in a school that's a pretty big school, about 750 students in southwest Sydney. We are 98% non-English speaking background uh, and very low SES and I have about or oh, 100 staff, anything from 90 to 100 staff on any given day. Right. So we're here to talk about culture and how we create great cultures in not only our leadership team, but throughout the entire school. Like what, what has kind of sparked you on this journey? Because I do know a lot of leaders that don't even think about culture. They're so busy doing tasks and just trying to get through the day. Like culture is a, a beautiful thing that they might get to one day when things slow down. So what really sparked this journey for you? Yeah, look, I think I was, um, in my first principalship, I did a lot of things where I sort of just didn't and went, oh, well, that's, I don't know any other way. This is just what I do. And then I was really, really fortunate in 2017 to be awarded the 2017 Teachers Mutual Bank Principal Scholarship. And I got to fly to Harvard Graduate School and I did a (laughs) 10-day... 
<laughs> most incredible thing I have ever done in my entire life. Recommend it to everyone. Um, and I got the opportunity to um, take part in a 10-day course called Leadership and Evolving Vision. And one of the speakers that stuck out, I guess, for me um, was a lady by the name of Ebony Bridwell-Mitchell. And she talked about culture and organisational culture. And I guess the session that we did with her was around building frameworks so that you can make culture not just something that is, um, oh, it's that feeling you get or, you know, it's just, you know it when it's there, but actually narrow it down and pinpoint it. So it's not this hazy, massive, intangible objects, but actual things that you can pinpoint and create and then work on as a staff. Wow, that's just amazing. And and we talk about in the Flourish Movement about this sense of things being intangible and, and even some of the goals being intangible. And, yeah, and I mean, that's something we really drive in terms of we want to see behaviours, not these vague yeah, aspirations. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us more about uh, what your main takeaways were from, from that experience. Look, I think um, <clears throat> some of the main ones for me were around the idea that um, you can create any type of culture you want if you actually start to narrow down and understand what culture is. So I think, you know, particularly for principals, often it's going and, you know, develop a certain culture in a school or we need to have a particular culture to be able to then implement a school plan and make it stick and take effect. But I don't know that we get a whole lot of training or understanding around, well, what actually does that mean? And I think what my takeaway was, was she was really able to articulate what is culture, what is made up of culture, how does culture operate and work within a school, so that then you can start to go with staff, okay, how do we now articulate or put language to it so it becomes part of what we do each and every day. Mel, the big thing about this Flourish Movement podcast is that we want people to be taught something in this conversation. So we don't just want to have a, a, a yarn we want steps and strategies now we're giving you a really tough job here because you're talking about something big and often intangible like culture can you start to break this down into when you came back from harvard god that's a great line wouldn't you be off to say that Bob? <laughs> yeah no, i definitely can't say that <laughs> you know the last time i was at harvard yeah yes. um but can, so harvard. when you came back from harvard what did you start to implement and, and do and how did you start to shape the culture of your school? I think um, in my first school, I think part of that culture was already there, right? So I think what Harvard allowed me to do was go, wow, this is why it's worked. So we often do things as principals where we say, well, I do that because that's just how I do it. I don't know any different. Um, but the research and I guess the learning I did at Harvard made me be able to come back and reflect and go, wow, that's why that stuck. That's why that's worked. That's why that didn't. Um, a year later or a year and a bit later was when I moved to my second school and that's where I really went, okay, I'm about to step into a new school. Um, how do I make sure that the cultural vision is something that's going to get us to be the best we can possibly be, to be excellent in all areas. So um, in terms of breaking it down, I think the very first thing as a leader you've got to do is, well, understand in yourself that you have an enormous impact on the culture of the school, yep. right? Yeah, definitely. And so step one for me was around um, making sure everyone was very clear on purpose. So we broke down our purpose. We developed a purpose as a school. Um, and I think, you know, 
when you were talking about superpowers and that sort of thing, I reflected on it. And I think my superpower is probably clarity of purpose. I have a very clear understanding around why I am at the school and what my role is. And so the first step in building a culture is making sure that everyone understands the purpose. Why are we here? What gets us up each day? Schools are very complex places. Um, on any given day, you can be emotionally exhausted, you can have things come at you um, and you have to be able to block out the noise. And I think if you can constantly talk about and let your staff understand why are we here, what is our purpose, that's step one. Okay, so step one, and, and sorry, Bob, I think I cut you off there, but we'll go to your question in a sec, is um, you said I developed that with my school. Like was that a joint thing or you kind yep. of went – Here's the world according to Mel. No, so we, um, I basically started, um, I didn't do much when I first got to the school. You know, you go into a new school and you watch. I watched for a term. Um, I reflected on things. I met with every staff member. And then as part of one of our staff development days, um, I stood up and I talked to them about what is our purpose? Why are we here? What gets you up each day? And we basically in groups started to, we were, you know, very big staff, as I said, 90 to 100 people. I gave them paper and they started just jotting down why they are here. What are their belief? What wakes them up? What gets them going? Um, And we refined that from a massive vision statement almost because you also has to have vision statements as part of your school plan yeah um and i said to them it's not the vision the vision is the end goal the purpose is why do we do it what's going to get us to achieve our vision day after day why do we even go on that why do we even go on the vision to get there yeah and so we um narrowed it down from i guess a paragraph into one short statement which um you know is that children are at the core of everything we do So we come in each day and we get up and we go to difficult schools or we put up with the difficult times or the hard times because at the basis of everything, the children are why we're there. Yeah, I just love that. I mean, you're cutting me off. I pretty much had exactly the same question. The thing that I picked up on, Adam, was was number one, that starting with why. And also what we hear is a theme around great leaders that we see everywhere we travel is this sense of we. And you hear it in Mel's language there and, and... you picked up on the same thing that it wasn't just you know the world according to Mel. It was let's develop this together and yep. and co-design it and and what do we collectively believe and making sure that everyone has buy into it. And uh, I think one of the difficult things with culture, if it's just about one person, it's never going to work because yeah. culture is how people act and how people behave each and every day. It's not how one person acts. Yeah. Um, and within a school, there are lots of little cultures. So there's classroom culture, there's staff culture, there's community culture. And so it's trying to, I guess, work out how you get all of those things on the same page under the same purpose to drive towards the vision. Yeah, and, and this is something you're really brilliant at in your school, Bob, is that co- collective ownership of that people feel like, well, and genuinely have been part of that process. So that's step one. Yeah. What is our meaning and purpose? Yeah. So what would you say step two was? Um, So after that, we start to then look at, so something, you know, some of the learning that came out of the work of Ebony Bridwell Mitchell at Harvard was around how there are certain key things that you need to pinpoint when developing or working towards the culture you want. And they are fundamental beliefs and assumptions, values, norms, so non-negotiables, and patterns of behaviour. 
Um, So what we did next was we started to look at values and we started to talk to, I talked to the staff about what are the values that we want to have at the school and, you know, how you go about that. I'm sure there's a range of ways. The way we did it was I had 40 or 50 values on cards and got people to sort them and order them in their top 10. Um, We then broke that down to our top five. Um, we got a consensus. We then did the same with student focus groups. We then did the same with parents. So we sent home, once we had the staff and the students' <coughs> values, we sent home a list of the top 10 and parents voted on what they thought the best values for the school would be and we then took the top five or six of those. Can I ask, was that kind of organic and was there a consensus or alignment that was quite natural in when you were doing that? In terms of the values people picked? Yeah. There were a lot that um, straight away stood out, but there were some surprising ones as well, to be honest. Um, what was nice to see was that the community and the staff picked a lot of the similar values that the staff did. The students and the community, yeah, were very matched with the staff. So it was like we were all wanting the same things for the kids in our care. So yeah, What an amazing process to just drag that out of everyone to say we are – all on the same page even. Yeah, and what, what value. is kind of knocking me over at the moment is that you ask the students and the parents, which i got to say, I'm sitting here going, I wouldn't have thought of that, <laughs> which is, yeah, well, like, what, what made you do that? Well, I guess, again, the idea of culture is, like, as I said, there are a whole lot of little cultures, so our school community is bigger than just our school. It's our staff, it's our students, it's our parents, it's our external providers. Um, And I, you know, I think family engagement is one of the most important things in terms of leading a school and the culture you want to have is one that parents feel like and families and carers feel like they can be part of. So as a new person going into the school, it was like, let's start from day one and make sure people get to have a say. And and once again, that cohesion of everyone's given feedback into it or... Everyone has a voice. Yeah, you know, that's, and student that's voice. exactly yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and some agency. Yeah. And also, Adam, you do, you've done some work as well that just listening to Mel around the fact that everyone affects culture. Yeah, totally. So it, 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 since they affect it, Mel's brilliance is just bringing everyone in so they feel like they're part of it. Well, they actually are part of it and that they're... they're if they're given agency, they're much more likely to buy in. Is, is Like, Mel, has that been your experience? Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, particularly when we worked on our purpose, um, every staff member had a say. So then when things start to – because, you know, you can define a purpose, you can – start to articulate your culture and values and fundamental beliefs the hard part is then when the rubber hits the road and you know people get tired or we we steer away from that but by the everyone being involved and everyone agreeing to it it then allows I guess a level of accountability where Mm. you can say well we we decided this as a staff this is what we've said we're going to do so let's work on how we do that together. So it's almost like it's easier to have hard conversations because, hey, you said that this is what we're all about and these are our values. Well, the conversations become very just clear and kind, right? You don't have to really be awful about it. Nothing yeah. is personal. It's just this is what we decided on. Yeah. This is what we have as a staff. This is outside so, of that. Yep. So how okay. do we then move forward? Yep. Okay, so step one was meaning and purpose. Step two was articulation of values. Yep. Now – I don't know about you, Bob, but when I hear those, I go, yeah, I could probably do that. The other the other steps that you mentioned, I think it was fundamental beliefs and assumptions, 
norms, patterns of behaviours, they're kind of different for me or, or different to what we tend to talk about. Can you explain those? And out of those three, what's the kind of next step? All right. So, yes, certainly. So, the I guess the next step, and this is part of what um, I guess I understood the idea of purpose. I understood the idea of values even before I did the learning at Harvard. The new stuff for me was, um, I guess, the fundamental beliefs and assumptions, the norms and the expected behaviours or patterns of behaviour. So, I'd never really heard culture talked about in terms of those aspects. So, in terms of your question, um, Adam, around does one sort of come first? Yes, I think you have to work out what your fundamental beliefs and um, assumptions are in a school. So that idea is what truths do you want the staff to take for granted about the work you do? Um, And so we spent quite a bit of time developing that. We didn't do that as a whole school this time. We did that as a wellbeing team. So I have a wellbeing team that has about 15 to 20 people on it and they represent um, each grade is represented along with SLSOs, support staff, that type of thing. And so they started to unpack, um, I guess, this framework of culture um, with me guiding them. And so that was around, you know, people come into organisations with existing and predetermined beliefs and assumptions. Um, And I think if you're going to then join 80 or 100 or even 10 or 20 people together – and you don't identify what you want those beliefs and assumptions to be in your organisation, how do you get everyone on the same page? And I don't think they should be assumed, right? Like I think sometimes schools assume people know what our belief is or our fundamental assumptions and beliefs are, whereas they need to be clearly defined and that's, I guess, what we set out to do. We clearly defined them. Yeah, can you make that more tangible for me? Like, uh, In terms of what might they be? Yeah. Um, So we have four fundamental beliefs and assumptions that um, are across our school and they are that everyone can learn and improve. When the adult changes, everything changes. Every student has their own story and everyone has the right to be heard. I just love what you're saying there and and – there's a sense I had a, a phrase that we had at Berry, which was we nailed our colours to the wall, uh, which was doing exactly that in the same way with the language and our beliefs. And so we landed on, you know, we are learning, we are a team, we are safe, we are respectful, that, that kind of language. And, and it's literally up in colourful uh, plaques all around the school and you can see it everywhere. And the importance of those, they're, they're kind of like mantras that you can always come back to and from those mantras, drive off and then move into the behaviours that are associated with those mantras. Yeah, and they're the truths that you want anyone that's coming into your school to understand about how you operate. That's how we roll. Right? And yep. and it's and it's almost like saying it's okay if you don't want to be part of that type. You know, if you say, well, when the adult changes, everything changes. Well, I don't think I should have to change in everything. Well, that's okay, but if you're at this school, that's one of our fundamental beliefs and truths. So that's yeah. what you're going to be expected yeah. to do. And it's okay if that, you know, if you don't want to do that, it doesn't mean you're not a good teacher. It doesn't mean you're not a good leader. It just means you're not necessarily fit for the culture that is at this school at yeah, this yeah. time. It's like we, the adults, are guiding the way and we have to go, we have to go before the student goes. Like it's, it's, you can't have this expectation. And I see this so much in schools is where 
teachers want to teach like they did 15 years ago, but they have an expectation of the student to be flexible and to take things on and challenge themselves. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not doing it. <laughs> and overlaid and sitting on top of that, if the question is, well, why would I do that? Well, because students are at the centre. Because our purpose is that <laughs> yeah. students yeah. are at the core of everything we do. Yeah. How, how do you argue with that? Right? Yeah. 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 How did you get to this almost advertising agency quality language? Like how did you get there? So the team started just writing down things that they believed, right? It was basically as much as we said, what do you believe about this school? What are your beliefs? If someone came in and wanted to be part of our staff and our school, what would they need to know? And they started with, again, really long sentences, um, phrases, like paragraphs, and we just – it took months. It's not a quick process, but it took months and months of us – refining it, working down. I mean, the first one is not ours. The first one is um, based on a book by Paul Dix, When the Adult Changes, Everything Changes, which is um, an incredible book around how you look at behaviour management and classroom management and that type of thing. And all and most of my staff have read that book. And so when the team started talking about it, they went, well, we want that one because that's just everything about us. It's up to us to change. Yeah. But yeah, they started quite long and uh, we just kept little bit by little bit working through them. We'd leave them, we'd sit, let them sit, we'd come back. Um, and yeah, then we just got it down to real. We wanted short, sharp things yeah. that would be able to be, yeah, to be able to be remembered and have an impact. It's got to be sticky and, and people need to remember them. And yeah, that's the word. But also want to use it. Yeah. Like that's the language you want to say. So, all right, that's that's the third mm-hmm. step. Yep. So take us to number four. So the next one is around uh, what do you want? So that's around the norm. So it's the idea of what should be the expected and legitimate ways of operating in the school. So what are the rules that should guide behaviour? Now, norms are not the actual behaviours, they're the expected behaviours. So it's how members believe they should act and behave um, or what they think should be expected of them. So that's how we then started to go, okay, so what are the norms? And we also call them the non-negotiables. So so what for us at our school, if you're going to be at our school as a staff member, is a non-negotiable. So give us an example of those. Uh, So one of our non-negotiables is consistent, calm adult behaviour. So the adult has to always be the calmest person in the room. I think there's a few organisations that could do with that one. Yep. Yeah. Another one is we don't take things personal, right? So it comes back to our purpose. It's the idea that if something happens or if we need to talk about something, um, it's not personal. It's about making sure it's what's best for the kids because that's what our purpose is. Can you give me a context where you've seen that? Something where it's not personal? Yeah. So, yeah, an example for that, something around um, we don't take things personal could be, um, you know, we are a pretty complex school and on any given day things can happen. And if a staff member has had a bad session or something has happened with a student where they're a bit off baseline, we have a term baseline, which means that you're calm, cool and ready to learn. That's for staff and students. And if a staff member is off baseline they might be told, okay, you need to go up to the staff room and take, you know, go and get a cuppa or, you know, worst case scenario, I think you should go home, um, rest up, come back tomorrow. And that might be, oh, no, I'm fine. I want to do this. I'm okay. Um, Or no, you know, it might be this or it might be that. And it's like, this isn't personal. This is about the fact that we need to be the calmest person in the room, which links another norm. We need to do what's best for our kids because they're at the 
core of everything we do. So it's just linking those things continually. And I guess once you've got them, the important part is using that language consistently. Yeah. So it's not something you just come up with, but then it just sits there and... Yeah, you, I mean, it's it's in your DNA. It's leaking out of your pores almost. And and the not personal piece is you're not victimising that staff member. It's just like, hey, you're in a space that's not okay. Mm. And that I'm I'm showing care by bringing that to your attention. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that just struck me when you were speaking then was that all of these norms apply to students and staff. Yeah, like that's I the layering that. that's in there. And students and staff and community, and that's been – my own experience of that as well mm. is the most amazing thing when the community says or someone in the, from another student says, you know, that that's the expectation of the staff or that's the expectation of the guests in our school and that's for, this is for everyone. And then everyone starts to be able to model the behaviours that are yeah. associated with those more norms but also call out and challenge kindly yep. and with clarity yep. when the behaviours aren't aligned with those yeah, and we do, Bob, you know, particularly um, executives. So, you know, we make sure as an executive that if we aren't following one of these, we call each other out on it, right? Like, you know, you weren't real calm, then how about I go and take over that? Because it's not just staff that are accountable, I'm also accountable um, and we're accountable to our purpose. And so these just allow us to have really appropriate ways of operating and understanding what they are because if we don't talk about them, how do people know whether they're doing the right thing or not? Yeah, I've got a couple of questions. Number yeah. one, we've kind of gone into a direction of how do you drive and embed these. And Bob, you know, your insights there were really great. Mel, these norms, how do you really embed them? Is one of the ways that you're open to them as much as everyone else? And when we see that, you know, the leader lives this stuff, it really starts to sort of ripple through. Yeah, I think you've got it. Like I started by saying, um, you know, the leader is such a big part of the culture in the school, right? Yep. And so I think you've got to embody me being the principal, my deputies, my exec team. We have to embody day in, day out what those norms are. Um, even when you're tired, even when you've had a bad day, um, even when you're jumping from one meeting to another, it's really important that. Um, we model that continually. We talk about it. We use it in our language. Um, we come back to it all the time. So last term, term two, report writing time, week eight. I don't know about anyone else, but it is the worst <laughs> term and probably weeks, Bob, in a school. Would you agree? Yeah, it's pretty high It's intensive. pretty full on. Um, and so, you know, in week seven or eight, I, in my executive team, sat with my team and we brought this back up and we looked at our purpose and we said, let's remember why we're here. So we go back to it. Let's not get, you know, we know people are going to be tired. We know people are going to be off baseline. Um, so let's make sure that we don't react based on that. Let's remember it's term two, week eight. Let's get through week seven, eight and nine and then respond appropriately based on our norms, based on our purpose, based on why we're here. Look, I don't know if I'm taking us in the wrong direction here and feel free to shut this down, but how did you win people over? Because is it easy for this stuff to kind of, oh, God, there she goes again? Or <laughs> I'm sure know. my staff say that all the time. <laughs> oh, God, there she goes again. Yeah, maybe we should interview Ben <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, But keeping these things alive and keeping, how does it stop 
becoming that kind of, oh, that thing that we're supposed to do rather than, because listening to you, it's just like, it's just part of who we are. The team I build around me is very important. So when I talked about the leader, it's the, like the effect the leader has. So with the, the team that I have around me who are going to be able to model that, who are going to be able to give that language, um, I think it's around how you induct people into your organisation. So this is part of our induction process. Yep. This is part of what we have conversations with people about when, you know, making sure that when you're writing ads or when you're writing questions for interview, some of these things are in it or being allowed to be teased out so that you're getting the type of people in the organisation that you know will fit the culture you've built. Right. So, so there's it's, it's it, not even it, – it happens before induction. Yeah, it, it happens, yeah. So it's, you know, it starts with leadership and how the leaders act. It then goes to selection. It then goes to induction. I think it goes to broadcasting. So how do you communicate it through social media with community, through, um, you know, every time I stand up in front of an assembly, being intentional – what are we going to talk about? What yeah. are executive going to talk about when they go into grade meetings? It's very intentional leadership, I guess. Um, and those, you know, the norms, the fundamental beliefs and assumptions, I guess what's really nice to be able to say is the team came up with those. Yeah. I didn't. Um, and they were based on things that they, you know, three years into my principalship said, well, this is what I think we're like here. Yeah, yeah. You know, I said, if you were coming into our school, what would be the things that you'd go, well, you have to know this about us? And they said, well, non-negotiable. You've got to be calm and consistent and predictable. God, Mel, we could talk to you forever. But bring us home. Like, what's this final step? I think you described it as patterns of behaviour. So talk to me about that. Yes. So while the norms are what you expect people, the, the expected behaviours, the um, patterns of behaviour are how you actually see people act. So what are the actions and the behaviours or the attitudes you expect to consistently observe around the school? Um, so that if you are enacting the norms, if you do understand our values, if you believe our fundamental beliefs, what will I see the adults in the organisation doing? So one is um, start fresh every day. So you'll see staff that come in and even if they've had a bad day yesterday or something's happened with a student, we start fresh. We don't hold things over students' heads. We start fresh, we give them a second chance. You'll see adults listening to children. So giving them a chance to have their say, to explain things. We don't turn away or walk past things. Um, one of my favourite things is that the standard you walk past oh, is the standard you accept, right? Mm. Um, we don't. So one of our things is you won't see teachers walk past. And again, because one of our norms is every student is every staff member's responsibility. What you expect to see then is if you're walking across the playground but you're not on playground duty but see something wrong, you don't walk past that. You go over and you deal with it. If you see something happening even if it's not your student in your class, well, non-negotiable is every student is everyone's responsibility. So the pattern or the expected behaviour I see is that uh, we don't see people walking away or letting things go. They go up and, and deal with it. I just love that. That is Absolutely fantastic. It's a, I have a question out of my own experience. I think there's a really important piece here. There's a, there's a p pivotal moment 
when you're trying to build culture that is a make or break moment and I want to ask you a question around that because for me the make or break moment would be if you're ever challenged by a staff member or community member or child about the alignment of your own behaviours with the stated value of the school. I'll give you an example. For me, there was a moment, we, we're always talking about the Berry Way and we're always talking about we're respectful, we're learning, and we go on about these things all the time. We point to them every day, multiple times a day. We teach them to the students. It's very direct and, and purposeful and intentional how we go about it. One day at a staff meeting, we're all having a bit of a joke around and I said some offhanded remark. Staff meeting finished. There was a knock on my door. The staff member said, can I come in? Shut the door. You know how we talk about we are respectful, Bob? I just want to let you know what you just said in the staff meeting. There was a couple of raised eyebrows and you know, maybe that couple of people might have been offended and felt that that wasn't respectful. How I responded, I think, in that moment was the make or break moment for the school culture. Yeah. And, and, and how I, did you respond? Don't leave us hanging. Yeah, well, this is it. <laughs> uh, it was only reflecting as you were speaking that I, yeah. I think that's the, that's the seminal moment as the leader because if I just went too bad, how sad, it's on them. Yeah, then or get over go, yourself. Well, and Well, we don't yep. need to align our behaviours with the culture because no one's going to be responsive if they're called out. Yes. on it and so I, I went oh who was it what do i need to do and i just went straight back down and we straight back down most people were still milling around there and just completely addressed it straight away point in time apologized um to those people or to the group to the group all, yeah. all that were there which is even yeah, better yeah absolutely so i think that those are the moments that when, when people are looking to you looking for that alignment would you agree yeah, with that? I do agree. And we're human, right? Yeah. There's a there's a humanness you have to have, which means we get tired as well. We get exhausted as well. I think it's then how you own that. Um, and I have, you know, I'm very much open door to the point of I have no issue with any staff member or any member of the community coming in and asking me why we do what we do or how we do what we do um, and me explaining that. Um and I think that's why, you know, I think some of what you've talked about is why leadership is so exhausting and emotionally draining because you are on every day, all day. Yeah. Um, even if you're tired from the minute you drive in your car and get out of your car, it's like game time, let's go. I've got to model this. I've got to watch how I speak. I've got to think about what I speak. I've got to watch how I'm walking. If I'm saying the adult has to be the calmest and something goes wrong, I can't be racing like a maniac across the playground. Yeah. So we've done a lot of work around body language, around tone of voice, around how do we interact, how do we communicate. I've done that very, very deeply with my executive team. We've done it to some extent with our school staff as well. That's yeah. going down again another layer of really granular detail of all of the things that will be really yeah, how, how do I totally embody this? Like yeah. not only from a, oh, yeah, I should have that attitude, but this is how my physiology has to be to help that. This is what it looks like. Yeah. And, and just, I, I, just before we move on, I, I want to just wrap up that piece there. Like one thing I learned from both of you then, and I've seen this from great leaders, is when – when you step out and you're out of alignment, own it, own it fast. And what I found in my experience is that the ground you make on that is so great. Like when you own it and apologize and say, I'll do better, 
God, you, the, the, the amount of emotional capital you get from that is huge. The litmus test there is around psychological safety. Yeah. Like, am I psychologically safe enough as any team member to call out anyone else on the team, including the principal? Yeah. Yeah. On this behavior. Yeah, that's a, that's a do or die moment, isn't it? So, yeah, call me out. Or, and, and just even that sense of call me out. I heard it somewhere else. I don't know what else I was listening to about this sense of calling people out versus calling people in. Rather than calling them out and exposing yeah, that's them. that's a very like, aggressive 100%. term, isn't it? What you're actually doing, like you said, with clarity and kindness, is calling them in. We're calling you into our way. Yeah. We want you as part of the team. Um, as I said before, we could just like fan out about your brain for so long <laughs> but uh, obviously you've given us the five steps and heaps of examples of, of of each of them is there anything else you want to say about this whole piece and to people listening to this i think something that is worth adding is um you know it's great to have a framework it's great to have steps that you can clearly articulate and define I think what needs to be said, however, is the huge investment in relationships that's required. So when I think about building leaders and building capacity, there's three things I think about. I think about emotional intelligence, I think about strategic thinking, and I think about humanness. And I think in order to get a culture like this and the culture we've got, you've got to spend time getting to know people as people, getting to know parents as people, students, kids as people, staff as people, and be open to, you know, in a big staff, giving my staff the opportunity to have direct contact with me. Um, you know, it might not be every day, but being out there and open so that they can develop a relationship and want to do these things and follow on and follow me as a leader. So I have another question here, and it's related to, out of all of this incredible work that you've done around culture in your school... What have been the benefits to you as a leader? I think, uh, you know, one benefit... I mean, I love I love this stuff. I could sit and talk to you guys for hours about culture and building capacity. It's one of the my favourite parts of the role of principal. But I think one of the things it's allowed me to do is then give back. So by having such a clearly defined culture, by everyone in the organisation understanding the expectations, how we act... Um, I'm able to find the time to step outside and find other things. So whether that's, you know, with School Leadership Institute, growing great leaders and supporting new principals coming on, whether that's, as I, um, you mentioned, I was president of the Primary Principal Council for four years. Um, I love the idea of being able to help outside of my school, systems yeah, yeah. leadership, not just within. So I think by having something like this and doing all this work, you know, and it's taken... It's my fifth year. It's taken us four to five years to get there. It's not easy work. It's not quick work. The size of my school is like moving an ocean liner. It's a yep. little bit at a time. But I think that it allows you to then um, find other things to do to give back to education well, as a whole. The, the school hums along without you. It doesn't need you there driving it every minute and of the day. And it shouldn't need me there, right? Yeah. It can't be about one Yeah, but one unfortunately person. so many principals like – they step out of the school and 10 minutes they get a phone call and then 15 minutes later they get another one and yeah. And again, it's the team, like, again, it comes back to the selection and the induction and the training you put around the people you bring in and build, the teams you put around, build around you. Look, when we were talking about this, you know, offline earlier and, and preparing for today, you talked about how 
one of the benefits as well is that because you're able to do that, you are able to focus on components of leadership and the systems leadership that are really fulfilling for you as well. And that really helps you as a leader in terms of... Yeah, that's what gives me my well-being, right? So there's certain things that... um, I guess, you know, make my well-being thrive and it's the stuff I love. So it's the culture piece, it's the um, teaching and learning, like curriculum. I love the teaching and learning bit. It's the um, building capacity of staff, right? So that allows me to do that stuff and I make sure that I focus on those areas. You know, you've still got to get all the administrative and the the day-to-day things done, but having this sort of stuff throughout my week really allows me to keep my well-being balanced and and right yeah and and you said something earlier about how the well-being team were part of the the culture team and i think too often we separate those things and we go well well-being is about yoga and eat your broccoli and let's do a mindfulness session i mean if you're coming to work in a place that has a culture like you do you don't need broccoli because your well-being is like Actually, everyone ate their broccoli. But, um, <laughs> and like, it's just off the charts because you, like, that contributes more to your well-being than anything you can do in your day. Yeah, and as I said, it's still, um, it's still challenging, don't get me wrong, right? Like, you know, it, it's a complex school and there are days where you want to shut the door and go, oh, gosh, this has been a hard day or teachers get upset. But as a whole... Um, I think the more you can focus on these type of things, it then becomes our core business and that's what we're there for, which then takes us right back to the purpose and 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 the kids. You used the most amazing phrase earlier in a conversation with me as well that I I clung to, which was that it allows you to block out the noise because, yeah, there is always going to be that complexity. There's always going to be those challenges and it allows you to – refocus and recenter and get back on track but that's something flourish taught me adam right it's that idea of um putting into your day the things that are most important right so you know the emails the whatever do an hour in the morning do an hour at night or in the afternoon but make sure within your day there's the time to do the reading or the research there's the time to sit and talk about teaching and learning there's the time to get into classrooms because that's what that's why we're in the job. Well, thank you, Mel. I got to tell you, that was extraordinary. Amazing. And we really appreciate you coming in and sharing all your insights. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I've had a ball. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Principal Melissa Proctor. The work she has done with her school around meaning and purpose and the way that she has created a very positive school culture is remarkable. We hope you walk away with some practical tips on how to do the same.